welcome to Horror Court Trash Show, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. Welcome to Summer Screams Month. I know, it feels weird to say this is our summer month. Because I've spent the last two months moaning about how warm it is in this room. Yeah. Whenever we record the podcast. So it's only going to get worse. Yeah. Yeah. And the same, the same goes, moment. well, the same goes for our film choices as well. What? They're only going to get worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So Summer Screams Month, we will be bringing you horror movies set in summer. Um, spoiler alert, majority of them aren't good. Mm. Um, but we've got a bit of a mixed bag for the first episode, um, a special triple bill and continuing with our 90s horror episodes, because obviously we've discussed Scream, we've done Final Destination, we've done, uh, Urban Legend, we are doing the I Know What You Did Last Summer trilogy. Which I didn't realise was a trilogy until fairly recently. Did you not? I just knew of the first two. Oh. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't actually really aware of the third one. Yeah, I mean, it's probably for the best. But the um, first two, I mean, are, pr- are pure nostalgia for me. Yeah, so this is very much coming off the back of Scream. Uh, it's actually written by Kevin Williamson, the first film is anyway. Um, you know, this is very much part of that trend that was yeah. coming out around oh, that time. absolutely, absolutely. Um, and it follows all the formula, you know, everything you'd expect from a film like this. And it's just enjoyable because of that. But of course, I'm t- just talking about the first film. I know what he did last summer, released in 1997, directed by Jim Gillespie, the director of Detox, Venom and Takedown. Which Venom? Venom as in the, is it 2000s Venom? Oh, okay. Very low IMDb not rating. The, not the Tom Hardy. No. Uh, made on a budget of $17 million and it made $125.5 million at the box office. Yeah, as as much as Scream was known, I know what he did last summer was everywhere as yeah. well. You know, um, they, they call them cultural resets, don't they? If yeah. Scream was the cultural reset, then this definitely follows on from that. You know, I my um, my first memory of the film was my cousin brought over the VHS. I believe it was, and I wasn't allowed to watch it. So I had been sent to bed, and I snuck down, and I sat on the stairs watching it through the window. Um, he'd brought it round for my mum and dad and, and him to watch. And um, I just remembered the car boot scene. The car boot sale? The car boot scene. <laughs> scene. Um and yeah, so they they were my memories before I actually watched the film, um, but I was aware of it. My mum and dad were aware of it. You know, it was it was a household name film. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and <laughs> weirdly enough, my history isn't so great with this film. My first memory of it is scary movie. Okay. Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I mean, for some reason, that was more acceptable to watch than I, I know what he did last summer back in the day for kids. Who knows? Um, but then, uh, the first film I watched from this trilogy was the third one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, as I've said many times, around 2003 to, and onwards is when I was really getting into films and horror in particular. So this was new out. I watched it. 
I did not like it. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I mean, and you know when Gary from 2006 doesn't like a film, it, it's it's pretty fucking bad. Um, yeah, but it, made, it still made me want to go and watch the other two. Because um, I thought they were all going to be like that one and the, the weird fucking ending that really jumped the shark. Um, thankfully, they're not. <laughs> oh, they still have those... Oh... Yeah. What's I your favourite? Out of this Scream and Urban Legend, what's your favourite? I mean, obviously it's Scream, but it's out, scream. Of, out of this and Urban Legend, should I say? Um, I would say Urban Legend. I would say Urban Legend. Mainly because it has the stronger first sequel, and the first film itself, I think, is a stronger film than I know you did last summer. Um, you think? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I feel like I it, would, it's yeah. more, you could take it more seriously. I think the camp value is higher. Um, you know, Tara Reid. Tara Reid. <laughs> Rebecca Gayheart. Rebecca Gayheart, giving us yeah. her gay heart. No, I, I think so. I think so. It's a close one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I probably would give it to Urban Legend. Yeah, but that's, you know, again... I love this first film. Um, getting into trivia, Kevin Williamson wrote the script before Scream, which is interesting, mm. but was unable to sell it. Following the big screen success of his next screenplay, which was Scream, Columbia Pictures immediately brought I Know What You Did Last Summer. Jennifer Love Hewitt uh, is, is in this. She had just appeared alongside former screen queen Jamie Lee Curtis in House Arrest prior to filming this movie. And was surprised to see she was also filming a movie in North Carolina at the same time. Jennifer said Jamie came over to the soundstage to wish her luck on her first horror film and would come over every day after that to give her a hug. Oh, I love Jamie nice. Lee Curtis. You know, well, I mean, I'm sure you know by now, if you listen to this podcast, we worship Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, Johnny Galecki's in this. Uh, Rusty Griswold from Christmas Vacation. Yes. He uh, Leonard from Big Bang Theory. But also Christmas Vacation. Yeah. Um, he recalled doing a body cast for the scene where Julie opens the trunk and finds Max's dead body in it of a crab crawling out of his mouth. In a bizarre series of events, he later got a call that production was shut down because Jennifer Love Hewitt was so upset by seeing the dead body cast of him and he had to call her and reassure her that he was very much alive. <laughs> okay. Okie dokie. I wonder why she never did many of the horror films after this. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder. Because <laughs> ain't being funny. It obviously, it appears in the film. It, don't it look does like not look real. <laughs> Despite being part of the main cast and appearing in many key scenes together, the character's Helen, played by the vampire slayer herself, the queen, Sarah Michelle Gellar, and Ray played by Freddie Prince Jr., uh, only speak to each other twice in the film. Despite the fact that the two barely interact on screen, Geller and Prince would become good friends after meeting on a film, later fell in love and got married. Yes, and still married to this yeah. day. How lovely and starred in Scooby-Doo. They did. Well, they had more more dialogue. <laughs> yeah, probably not a good thing for Freddie Prince Jr. Um, writer Lois Duncan wasn't a fan of her book being reworked into a slasher film. This was due to the fact that her youngest daughter was murdered by an unknown asylum in 1989. 
Uh, original book wasn't that far off from a slasher, though. It's still a bunch of guilty teenagers being stalked and terrorised by a murderous madman. It's just that nobody dies in her version, so in that sense, it's more like an old-school mystery. Uh, okay. Uh, she's a bit of a unique author in that she likes to re-release her novels from time to time, updating them with contemporary references and keeping the story current. So she also did this with I Know What You Did Last Summer and replaced references to the Vietnam War with the Iraq War, uh, adding mobile phones, social media and texting references to keep the story relatable to today's teen audiences. Oh, okay. It's really interesting. That, I, is, that is very interesting. I don't know of any other authors that do that, do you? No, no. Which I'm glad, to yeah. a certain extent. Um, I mean, it, it it would, I suppose there was a lot to be learnt from history, historical context, reading an older book. Mm-hmm. If you understand what I mean, if, if you know, if um, Great Expectations was reworked for yeah. the uh, 21st century... A lot of the historical context would be lost on the story mm. and, you know, learning about how hard it was during Victorian times. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad that not everybody does it, but it's a very interesting thing for what is probably just a throwaway mystery novel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would be very interesting. And I, I mean, you get, I mean, you get so many updated versions of uh, Agatha Christie, mm. you know, I, I think that kind of premise... um, allows that sort of um, changing over time which is good yeah the original trailer for the movie described Kevin Williamson and the movie as from the creator of Scream Uh, Miramax owners of the Scream franchise successfully sued Columbia Pictures for false advertising and the phrase was removed I mean he's one of the creators of Scream yeah so so you've got the mind behind the Scream franchise Mm -hmm. something like that uh, Gillespie chose to film virtually no on-screen blood as he did not want the film to be overly gratuitous in terms of violence. The scene in which Elsa has her throat slashed while standing against the glass door had originally been shot from behind without any blood appearing on the glass. However, the producer worried that the scene appeared medically impossible, after which Gillespie reshot it uh, with a visual effect of blood splattering across the glass. Upon test screenings of the film, Gillespie and the producers decided that a death sequence needed to occur early in the film to establish a sense of legitimate danger for the main characters. So then that's where Max's murder was added in um, to achieve that. Yeah. He wasn't killed in the original script. No, because it doesn't really make sense him being <laughs> no. killed, to be fair. Um, but obviously we'll get to that. I mean, it's it's not a massively gory film anyway, so I, no. I think the director kind of got what he wanted still. Yeah. Uh, Melissa Joan Hart turned down the role of Julie James, and when asked why, she said she just thought it was another rip-off of Scream. <laughs> okay. Melissa Joan Hart hasn't done horror, has she? She's, not really, no. But she, she was pretty much an it girl at the time. I yeah. Mean, she just started Sabrina, I believe. Uh, according to Stokely Chaffin, the producers sought out actors who were beautiful but likeable. Wow, you fucking failed on one of those accounts. I know, yeah. <laughs> Not Sarah Michelle Gellar, of course, but uh, everyone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the film is included on Roger Ebert's most hated list. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Um, the, orig- the original UK cinema version was past 18 by the BBFC in the UK. But the rating was downgraded to a 15 rating, uh, possibly for the lack of gore, for video and DVD without any cuts being made. 
that is weird that they would automatically pass it as an 18. Because yeah. this is definitely not 18. It's worthy. not 18, no. Um, the sequels are 18s, but they are more graphic. Are they? Mass- yeah. Not massive. I mean, Jack Black's stuff and... Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. Um, Jennifer Love Hewitt strongly dislikes horror films. Pro- uh, actually, no, going back a bit. I mean, compared to what we watched in The Suicide Squad. Exactly. Uh, no, may- maybe not, actually. Um, I think the BBFC has changed a lot over a the lot. years. A <laughs> lot. Um, yeah, a lot. Uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt strongly dislikes horror films prior to making this. And currently her only other horror role has been in the 1998 sequel. I mean, is that not counting Ghost Whisperer? I don't think Ghost Whisperer was not a horror, I don't think. It fucking should have been. Danielle Harris was considered for a role of Julie James. I mean, yes. That makes sense. Isn't Danielle Harris considered for every fucking role? Poor girl's considered for everything, but never fucking gets it. She never gets it. Reese Witherspoon auditioned but changed her mind and withdrew. She did, however, recommend her then-boyfriend, Ryan Felipe, for the role of Barry. Nice. Oh. Reese Witherspoon in this. That would have worked. That would have worked. But then, I mean, we might not have had Cruel Intentions the way it's it was. It's true. It's true. If that had worked out. The film originally had a different ending where Julie James is chatting with Ray online. She gets the pool party invitation and then another person starts a chat with her typing in, I still know. And then the killer, the killer jumps out on her. The ending was used as a teaser trailer for the sequel. Lovely. The, the endings for these films, oh my I god. I don't get it. Body Count 6. Um, yeah, the, <laughs> I mean, getting ahead of ourselves a lot, but you can see why it was so easy for Scary Movie to parody this. Oh, yeah. Like, I used to feel that way with Scream. That slowly disappeared now, but I have never, and I've probably watched both of these equal amounts, I have never been able to watch, I know what I did last summer, Without thinking a scary movie because it is so easy to take the piss out. It is, yeah. It really and like the ending where you know obviously she dies. Well, implied that she dies. Yeah. And she comes back and she's alive without any explanation in the next film. Scary movie does the same with scary movie two and scary movie three with Anna Faris. And now that you know I'm older and look more into these films, it's it's yeah they. It hasn't aged very well, scary movie, but it did that very well. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was fucking easy. Yeah. Four young friends bound by a tragic accident are reunited when they find themselves being stopped by a hook-wielded maniac in their small seaside town. So would you like to tell us what happens in this amazing film that starts with Summer Breeze by Typo Negative? Summer Breeze by Typo Negative, (laughs) making every modern trailer jealous with their first use of slowing down. Yes. (laughs) Fast song for... uh, make a moody atmosphere and oh, and also I'm, I'm sure they won't include this on the the wikipedia summary um but helen is going to serve her country through art and pursue a career as a serious actress isn't she she is <laughs> um that's later on no that's at the start of the film when she's doing her uh miss wherever they are the pageant uh, where are they Southport. South, Southport. Miss Southport. Miss Southport, North Miss, Carolina. Miss Southport, Michelle Geller. Um, and then I met a conversation about urban ledgers on the beach by a fire and beach sex, PG-13 beach sex, whilst an angsty 90s acoustic song plays. 
Oh yeah, yeah. What they do... all before the main plot kicks so, in. This is, so yeah. So on the fourth of July, nineteen ninety six, in Southport, North Carolina, Julie James and her friends Ray Bronson, Helen Shivers, and Barry Cox drive to the beach. While driving along a coastal byway, they accidentally hit a pedestrian. Julie's friend Max passes by them on the road. Julie reassures Max that everything is all right, and he leaves. The group decides to dump the body in the water and never discuss what happened. And just in case you're wondering, yes, they are listening to Wake Up Call by the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones whilst yeah. they hit the sky. So this, <laughs> that does it a little bit of disservice because it does take a while. This yeah, beginning. it is the most nineties opening sequence. It a bit. <laughs> so um, we've got a dude looking very sad by a cliff. <laughs> then we get Sarah Michelle Gellar serving in a one piece. Yeah. For the pageant. Um, they talk about her perky breasts, <laughs> and Barry, her boyfriend, reassures us that she does exercises to help keep them perky. How do we know that's his girl? Because he says it. <laughs> After she wins, he tells everyone, that's my girlfriend. <laughs> um, we then cut to a 90s B-52s wannabe band, <laughs> uh, playing what is a banger. Um, to a crowd, uh, post, or, or, I don't know, a 4th of July party on the beach for teens, as they did. Uh, Leonard from the Big Bang Theory is trying to get a piece of Jennifer Love Hewitt. Um, they go to Dawson's Beach, which is hilarious, (laughs) because Kevin Williamson wrote Dawson's Creek. Wasn't there a Dawson's Creek reference in Urban Legend as well? Where um, Jared Leto turns the car radio on. Yeah. Oh, it's Joshua Jackson. Joshua Jackson. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, They discuss urban legends at Dawson's Beach. Um, I've got Freddie Prince Jr. struggling. (laughs) He's telling this story. He is struggling. I mean, he doesn't act anymore, thank God. No. Um, Bless him. He, yeah, I mean, he got the part on his looks, I'm assuming, because he is... (laughs) Not do he doesn't do well in this film. No. Or the sequel. Yeah, he struggles remember, even more in the sequel. I remember him being alright in She's All That and I mean this kind of acting helps in something like Scooby Doo. Oh yeah, he, he's he's very good as Fred, but yeah. that's because he's played a cartoon character and you know, cartoon characters aren't human beings technically and he doesn't know how to act like a human being in this film. <laughs> So, well done, Freddie Prince Jr. That's fresh. So, Julie, going against the final girl archetype, uh, gets it on on the beach with Ray, um, which I was very surprised because she wears cardigans and really long skirts. <laughs> so, I assumed she would just be frigid, but apparently she's not. She gets it on on the beach, everything. So, uh, good for her. Um, Boozy Barry drops the bottle <laughs> as they're driving. So, he's just been obnoxious. Um, yeah, so they end up killing this guy in the car. Uh, Julie is against the cover-up because she's the final girl. And uh, she, she has brown hair and wears a long skirt. Uh, <laughs> Max is actually... Because you feel a bit sorry for Max. Mm. Because he's being nice to Jennifer Love Hewitt. I, I suppose... What, Julie? Um, especially she has a boyfriend, so he, needs, he should keep his distance. Um, but he's actually really quite rude to Ray for absolutely no reason. So, Ray's reaction is priceless. Yeah, 
Well, too, Max. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh Freddie Prince. That's because they've just hit. They're pretending that Barry's throwing up. I mean, no, it's because Freddie Prince Jr. can't act, but. Yeah. So the not so dead body grabs Helen's crown for a classic jump scare. <laughs> He's trying to snatch that wig. <laughs> Barry gives Julie a choke when she uh, isn't uh, uh, isn't playing along. Is she? No. He's like, oh, what's, what does he make us say? <laughs> say it! <laughs> say, say, you'll, uh, say you'll take it to your grave or whatever. Yeah. It's, again, in, in scary movies where uh, the guy beats Anna Faris up, like overreacting because she doesn't agree. And it's very much the case with this, though. I mean, I, ha- I have it in my notes. Yeah, Barry screams in everyone's faces, strangles Julie, and everyone's fine with it. Yeah. Yeah, why wouldn't it be? But he's 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 like he's like making a promise that she'll never tell anyone that they just forget about it. But he is he is actually going for it. I'm really struggling her. And Ray's just like, yeah, yeah, okay, it's all good. Also, you know what's the name of the Flash? Barry. Barry. Oh, Barry. It's the Barrys. Oh, Ezra Miller. Um, <laughs> what wasn't there a pageant where someone actually stole someone's crown? I swear, this is a viral event. It's yes, it was a drag pageant mm. in uh, I believe uh, somewhere in South America, um, where the winner was gushing whilst getting interviewed by the press, <laughs> and the runner-up ran over and snatched <laughs> snatched the crown and snatched the wig. That is as well. exactly what the fisherman was doing in this That's film. What snatched? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, Sarah got snatched. Uh, Barry had to. Uh, Not Miss Southport for long, bitch. <laughs> so then we cut to one year later. So it's nineteen ninety-seven, yes. and Julie returns home from college for the summer. With what? With what accessory? What famous nineties accessory? Oh, that hideous hat. No, she it? has a sassy black friend. Oh, this is the nineties. Oh, she also she also has a fucking hideous hat. Um, but yes, so Julie's really mopey mm. and dopey and, um, her college friend drives her all the way. I don't know where her college friend, um, lives, but she drives her all the way home <laughs> to her front door from college. Um, and yeah, a bit like Scream 2, uh, which was the same year, wasn't it? And Candyman, and The Silence of the Lambs, yeah. and every 90s horror film. The white girl has to have a sassy black friend. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, it's the sequel as well. Yeah. I don't... I don't Although this is, a, this is I don't going against I types. I wouldn't say Casey Lemons played it sassy, though. She wasn't... I, I, in which film? Both. Really? I don't think... In not in Candyman? Either. No, I no? don't. Well, not not in the same way. Not in the it same way, no. the kind of stereotype that we get in the teen ones. Yeah. They are a bit, That's are true. A bit of a stereotype, aren't they? And, you know, obviously, the, um, in this in this one, she's, she's barely in the film. Yeah. I mean, we don't see yeah. her afterwards until the very end, um, which probably isn't her anyway, because it's just a silhouette. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm actually surprised Julie has any friends that would go out of their way. <laughs> well, even her fucking is... mum hates her. She's like, you look mom. like shit. Are you she on does. drugs? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> all the friends have gone their separate ways and Julie receives a letter with no return address stating, oh, what does it say? 
I know what you did last summer. <laughs> I know what you did last summer. Julie tracks down Helen in a hilarious scene <laughs> where Julie goes to uh, the shop owned by Helen's father <laughs> and run by her horrible, horrible fucking <laughs> bitch of a girl sister, Elsa. Um, who cannot just let anything go. No. So excuse the uh, pun. Um, she goes, she's got, have you got Helen's New York number? <laughs> and Elsa's like, uh, Helen doesn't have a New York number anymore. If you want her, you need to go see her at Women's Fragrances. <laughs> uh, Elsa is played by is Bridget Wilson. I think so. Uh, who was Sonia Blade in the original she Mortal was. Kombat. Um, so yeah, so she, Helen... They track them all down, and they... Uh, oh, uh, Julie tracks down Helen, and they take the note to Barry, who's still a dickhead. Yeah, he says uh, to both of them, you should check a mirror every once in a while. You two look sh- like shit run over twice. Okay, that's lovely. <laughs> I've just... In his fucking wife beater vest. I've just realised something I wrote in my notes. Um, her... Helen doesn't have a New York number because her acting didn't work out. <laughs> and I put underneath, if Freddie Prince Jr. got this role, surely Helen could have gotten any acting, <laughs> an acting role or two. Yeah, Freddie Prince Jr. doesn't have a New York number anymore. <laughs> they, uh, they blame Max for the note, so they go and see him, and big boy Barry friends Max. Yeah. Doesn't he? With a hook. With a hook. Um, Julie meets Ray who now works as a fisherman. Mm-hmm. He unsuccessfully tries to reconcile with her. Uh, later, Max is killed by a figure in a rain slicker, wielding a hook. Yeah. Which, I th- I've, obviously, you've said it was kind of tacked on. Yeah, it's, it's very random. He had absolutely nothing to do with it. He had nothing to do with it, and I understand... Because it's not mentioned either. No. So Max's death is actually not mentioned well, apart from by the any car, of the characters. The car scene. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, well yeah, oh, that's true, actually. But, I mean, his death, it's not like, oh, my God, Max has gone missing. Max is this, that, and the other. It's not until the car boot that it's even acknowledged mm-hmm. by anyone in the film. And also, I mean, Max was a red herring. Yeah. You know, and you, you've kind of killed a red herring quite early on. Mm-hmm. Um, which I just thought was a bit meh, but it was a cool scene though. Yeah. He gets a hook, um, underneath his jaw and, um, gets slammed on this big, big bit of ice. Mm-hmm. Um, Barry discovers a note in his locker. Whilst doing what? What was he doing? He was boxing the punch bag to the sound of a cover of Deep Purple's Hush by Cooler Shaker. Oh, yeah. Which is the kind of the song, isn't it? Yeah. For this film. Uh, which is annoying because the B-52s wannabes, um, that should have been the song. Playing <laughs> over the credits. Um, so, yeah. So, he's um, in... Uh, well, I would say homoerotic, but it's just him. But um, something for the ladies and the gay boys. Um, well, Kevin Williamson's uh, gay. homosexual, yeah. isn't he? So this is one for the gays. Um, Ryan Felipe. Did you just merge gays and girls? Girls. 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 <laughs> girls. Girls. Um, he, he's out of the shower. He's the, he's the only one at the gym for some reason. Um, for plot reasons. 
and uh, <laughs> he's there in his uh, towel, opens his locker, and he finds a note saying, I know. Um, he then leaves the gym, and he's ran over by an unknown assailant. Yes. Uh, driving his car. And uh, he survives, though. He does. Um, Julie researches newspaper articles, which leads her to believe the man they ran over was a local named David Egan. Mm -hmm. Helen and Julie meet with David's sister, Missy, at her home, (laughs) played by Anne Hesch. Looking like Shirley Carter. Looking like Shirley Carter, a year before her breakout role in Gus Van Sant's remake of Psycho. Uh, (laughs) Less said about that, the better. And, and I don't think we will ever cover that. No, we won't. Uh, there was no point. There's a reason a we shot for shot. There's a reason we did Psycho as a solo episode. Yeah, <laughs> it's no, it's absolutely pointless. Uh, Missy explains that their family was devastated by David's death, and that a friend of David's named Billy Blue visited her to pay his respects. That night, the killer sneaks into Helen's house, cuts off her hair while she <laughs> sleeps, and writes "soon" in lipstick on her vanity mirror. Jesus Christ. Do, do we think the fisherman might have been a bit gay and wanted to actually be Helen? <laughs> he snatched a crown, he, snatched he the stole crown. some of her hair, yeah. and he does a classic drag race move and leaves his message on the mirror. Well, I've got a few notes on what just happened. Um, a big question for me was why there were a bunch of roses in Barry's hospital room <laughs> after he survived <laughs> being hit by a car. Um, it's probably the, it's probably the gay fisherman, wasn't it? <laughs> one big thing that <laughs> well, sorry I, I hit you with my car. <laughs> one big thing I took away from this viewing yeah. analysis is that they bicker all the fucking time, <laughs> and pretty much ninety percent of the outfits in this film are sleeveless. <laughs> it's incredible. I didn't realize. Yeah. Like, barely anybody wears sleeves. And even when they do, they, like, take the shirt off or the cardigan off or or whatever, and they've got a sleeveless vest underneath. (laughs) Uh, um, Also, my... um, I love queens standing queens. And when they go to see Missy, uh, Helen says, Angela Lansbury always had a plan. (laughs) And also, Jodie Foster did this and discovered a serial killer. <laughs> and if you know me, you know I love Jodie Foster and you know I worship Angela Lansbury. So, and, and obviously love Sarah Michelle Gellar. So, Queen's Acknowledging Queen's. Yes. Um, makes me very happy. Uh, Billy Blue is a fucking stupid name. <laughs> Where but the, you can actually picture Freddie Prince Jr. thinking that was a cool made-up name. Alert. Oh, spoiler alert. But you can actually picture him like, oh, yeah, that, that would that'll be good. Oh, my God, do you know who he is? You, why did they not cast him as Ross in Friends? It's, oh, my God. Because he is the ultimate fucking Ross in this You're film. You're a young for Ross. <laughs> I fucking hate Ross. Um, Helen probably has the most backstory to be Probably why we like it. Also, Helen's surname is Shivers. Shivers. Can we just appreciate that for a fucking second? Helen Shivers. That's very... I'm assuming that's taken from the book. That's very young adult novel name. Genuinely the campus name they could have gone with. Helen is completely ignored by her drunkard dad. (laughs) While she very clearly enjoys a Diet Coke. (laughs) Get that sponsorship money, guys. Um... 
She, yeah, so her sister's just horrible to her. Yeah. Her dad's clearly some drunkard who don't don't take any notice of her. Um, she was going to get an acting role in New York and, you know, she's very sad about it. So she probably gets the most development than anyone mm-hmm. else. Um, yeah, because she's the now, best character in a fucking because film. Because I'll probably say it again later, but the two surviving characters are the least interesting. <laughs> So the fisherman has snuck into her wardrobe as she reminisces over her tiara. Uh, her sister enters for a classic jump scare and just to be a cunt, basically. <laughs> uh, and she wakes up and someone's cut her hair. Um, what do you... <laughs> my, my issue is the worst thing they could think to do to Barry is run him over. <laughs> yeah. The worst thing the fisherman thinks he could do to Helen is cut her hair. <laughs> Like, why did she get run over? Why did she get a haircut? Because I told you, because the fisherman the wants to be fit, her. Worst fit. What? He's building his drag outfit <laughs> as Helen Shivers. I mean, it's a, a, it's a classic drag name as it is. That's true. Oh, my God. There's gotta <laughs> it be doesn't a drag, have to do much. There has to be a drag queen called <laughs> Helen Shivers that does um, Helen Shivers cosplay. It has to. Anyway, the following morning, Julie finds Max's corpse wearing Barry's stolen jacket in the trunk of her car. When she calls the others, the body is missing. What Helen had to resort to wearing because of a hair incident. Oh, um, how would you describe it? She well, was dressed Dawn. like Dawn the Jockey Dawn from the X jockey, Factor. Dawn the Jockey hat she's got on. Hideous, hideous, two hideous hats in one film. Yeah, and we get an iconic moment. Um, yeah. It doesn't say it in my notes. What does she do? She, uh, Julie. Julie, spins around in a circle and screams, "What are you waiting for?" Multiple times. Yeah, which <laughs> when it was, uh, we keep referring to scary movie. We didn't do it in the scream episode. No, because uh, it wasn't. Because scream's good enough to outdo scary movie. Yeah. This 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 makes it is is too obvious. But it's my favourite scene from scary movie when they parody this scene and the guy jumps off the building. <laughs> uh, Julie, Helen, and Barry confront Ray about the recent events. The latter claims to have received a threatening letter as well. Julie goes back to visit Missy while Barry and Helen participate in the 4th of July parade. Missy reveals David allegedly committed suicide out of guilt for the death of his girlfriend Susie Willis in a car accident and shows David's suicide note to Julie. As the writing matches that of the note she received, Julie realises it was not a suicide note, but a death threat. (gasps) Dun, dun, dun. I haven't really got anything to say about all that. Which no. It just sort of no, happens. just happens. Yeah. Do you um, have some to say about Oh, no, I do, year? I do, I do. So, um, when Julie's sort of... She's about to confess to Anne Hesh about what happened and um, Anne Hesh just isn't believing her. Missy, Missy. Just isn't believing her. And uh, she tells her to get out of my house. She says, get out of my house. Get out of my house. But they're outside. <laughs> that cracked me up that little. You're outside. You've got a fucking chicken coop next to you. Get out of my house. Should we get off my property? It would be like, okay, clearly in the, in the original script, they were inside and he decided to shoot it outside. Change the script. 
Why Why wasn't, like, Anne Hesh, like, um, it doesn't make any sense, we're outside, <laughs> why am I telling her to get out of my house? Um, and Julie to herself, for some reason, goes, it wasn't your brother. <laughs> she whispers to herself after she's gone. We then, back to what Wikipedia describes as the Croker beauty pageant. Mm-hmm. Helen witnesses Barry being murdered on the balcony. She rushes upstairs with a police officer, but finds no sign of the killer or Barry. I mean, Barry wasn't the only thing being murdered in the scene. <gasps> How dare you? I know what you're about to say. And I take it That personally. fucking rendition. I mean, she's an absolute queen doing it, but that rendition of fame. Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. I got a, I, it's really you're just bad. shouting the lyrics. I've got a couple of questions to ask you on this one. Number one, why is Helen forced to awkwardly sit on the stage as the talent <laughs> contest goes on? Why would she, why would she, why is she sat on the stage? <laughs> Except for this iconic scene where she witnesses Barry's yeah. death. But why, I don't get it. Sure, the stage ain't even that big. To warrant it. Like, I don't get it. She's there looking glum and just... Poor woman, poor cock destroyer who's uh, singing fame. <laughs> also, why did the audience start grabbing her as she tried to yeah. help Barry? Like, what, what are they trying that to do? eyes an asshole, let him die. Yeah, what? <laughs> but they all just started like, grabbing her like it's Dawn of the Dead or something. Oh, fucking hell. Anyway, a police officer escorts Helen home, but the killer lures him into an alley and murders him. Helen flees to her store where her sister Elsa is being a oh excuse me is closing for the night. <laughs> the killer enters the store and murders Elsa. Yay. Thank God! Yay! Helen is chased to the third floor of the building and escapes through a window, falling to a long alleyway. She runs towards the street, but the killer stops her and slashes her to death. Boo. Her screams being drowned out by the oncoming parade. Okay, so this is an iconic death scene. Yeah. Um, Massive homage to Halloween. It's, yeah, it's the death of everyone's favourite character. Yeah. It's the death of everyone's interest in the film. You might as well just turn the film you off. You might as well turn it off point. now. But, again, I've got a few questions for you. <laughs> Number one, why would Elsa have the front door locked, but not the back door? <laughs> Good job, though, as she's finally killed. Two, how many parades does this town have in one day? <laughs> because Helen was part of the daytime parade, <laughs> and then they've got a nighttime parade. And I mean, it might have taken it a little too seriously, this whole... But again, convenient, because no one can hear Helen scream. Thirdly, why would Helen stop and turn around? <laughs> She's so close to the marching band. So close, and she decides to stop and turn round. A question every young horror fan watching this film has asked themselves, surely. Do you think it was done on purpose, because it was Kevin Williamson writing it? As a play on the tropes, because it's very oh, much... of course. The whole thing is full of tropes. Yeah, it's... Yeah, of course. Of course it is. Yeah. But again, it's a, it's a really great homage to Halloween because it mirrors the scene of Jamie Lee Curtis running home, Michael Myers following her. Yeah. Um, and if you're going to do it with any other queen, do it with Sarah Michelle Gellar. Yeah. Can't go wrong with that. Yeah, she's in an iconic dress, isn't she? Yeah. In a green. Her hair's grown back. 
Oh, yeah, excuse me. <laughs> well, it hasn't, no. She's got um, a really cute do, actually. I, th- I think the fisherman did her a favour. <laughs> I thought it was really cute. It was shoulder length. Um, yeah, gorgeous. Which is weird, because if you were trying to cut someone's hair to punish them for murdering you a year previous, why would you, like, just cut to the shoulder? <laughs> Wouldn't you just, like, take chunks near the scalp and set? She, does, she doesn't really... Because it's gay, it's, it's being like, precise to these it's things. It's still, like, thick, though, isn't it? It's just, it's just shorter. <laughs> he actually, he seriously did her a favour. It looks so much better. It was gorgeous. It's, uh... <laughs> Very Rachel from Friends. She asked for the, <laughs> she asked for the Jennifer Aniston, didn't she? She did. Um, Julie finds an article mentioning Susie's father, Ben Willis, and realises that Ben was the man they ran over moments after he killed David to avenge his daughter. Who the fuck is Susie? Susie Willis was David Egan's girlfriend. Oh, okay. Who died accidentally the year previous. That makes sense. Julie goes to the docks to tell Ray, but he refuses to believe her. Julie notices Ray's boat is called Billy Blue. (laughs) (laughs) And she runs away. So she solves the mystery, but still thinks it's Ray. It's a good thing that Freddie Prince Jr. is married to Sarah Michelle Gellar, because if he wasn't, you'd know he'd absolutely have his Tinder profile picture as him with a fucking fish. By his boat, Billy Blue. Go on, Billy Blue. (laughs) A fisherman steps out of the shadows and knocks Ray unconscious, inviting Julie to hide on his boat. Julie, being a stupid girl, gets on the fucking boat. (laughs) And on board, she finds photos and articles about her friends and her and pictures of Susie. The boat leaves the docks and the fisherman is revealed to be Ben Willis, who begins tormenting Julie, chasing her below deck. There, she uncovers the bodies of Helen and Barry in the boat's icebox. Ray regains consciousness and steals a motorboat... <laughs> steals a motorboat <laughs> to rescue Julie. He ultimately uses the rigging to sever Ben's hand and send him overboard. When Julie and Ray are questioned by the police, they deny knowing why Ben attempted to kill them, but are relieved not to have actually killed anyone, and they reconcile. Um, this annoys me, because this whole last scene mm-hmm. is Julie kind of being a wimp. Yeah. She's not She's not final girl material. I don't know really. why he keeps getting these big action scenes. It happens in the sequel as well. Yeah. He's, he's not an action he's, guy. He's Ray to the rescue. Ray should have died. Everyone knows the boyfriend's meant to die in the last act. But he isn't. It's Ray to the rescue. He gets this action scene. He jumps from the little boat, doesn't he, onto the big boat. I, and... I feel like they tried to make him the Dewey of the piece. Except Dewey in Scary Movie was an idiot, but he was likeable still. Ray's just not likeable. Scream? Yeah. You said Scary Movie. Did I say... Okay, yeah. whatever. Dewey, Scream. Dewey in Scary Movie we don't talk about. No. Because well, everyone's not aged. Well. Everyone seems to love him. He's still doing Comic-Con appearances as the character. But that's <laughs> a conversation for a whole other day. Um... But yeah, as in Scream, uh, David Arquette. I, I yeah. feel like that's what they were going for with Freddie Prince Jr. here. But yeah. instead of being likeable, he's he's just not. No, he's just he's dull. He's yeah. very dull. 
Um, and then he springs into action at the end, saves the day, essentially. Um, Julie's also, like... So Ben's about to go in for a swing with the hook. Julie's screaming. And by accident, his hand <coughs> gets stuck in this rope. And then uh, Ray pulls on the other side of the rope. It sends him flying up, severs his hand, and he falls into the sea. And I was just kind of a bit like, oh, <laughs> Julie's using, she hasn't used any skills to survive, <laughs> you know? She used her, she did her research, but then still believed it was Ray who was the killer <laughs> and ran and, you know, and got herself into trouble because she didn't believe Ray, even though she'd solved the mystery. But all of her information, all of her useful information that she found... It's all on the internet. It was all by accident yeah. as well, you know. Well, the, yeah, really, it's just all on She the went internet. onto the fucking killer's boat. Yeah. After he asked her to. Yeah. <laughs> this is just, she's just a bit of a, a wet blanket. She's not, she's got nothing about her. You know, she's, she didn't, it doesn't feel like she's into survival. And that's, you know, first and foremost for a, a good final yeah. girl. Um, but there's some wonderful dialogue during this scene. Uh, happy 4th of July, Julie. <laughs> and uh, let me give you some advice. When you leave a man for dead, make sure he's dead. <laughs> I was going a little piratey then. I thought, <laughs> yeah. it, was, I, I thought it needed it. He's a fisherman. He's um... a fisherman. Um, yeah. I also wrote down, ultimately, Julie and Ray were very fortunate that Ben was a psycho and didn't just go to the police. <laughs> yeah. um, not for Helen and Barry, and, and for some reason Max, um, but for Julie and Ray, if Ben had just gone to the police that night, mm-hmm. um, then things would have panned out very differently. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Look, look at them. <laughs> Why did he get out of the water like, oh, do you know what? Nah, I'm just going to kill him. Gonna wait I'm long, just gonna, I'm just gonna wait around all this time. But he'd already killed David, didn't he? He'd, yeah. He'd killed David and left that note. But still, why the fuck did he wait that long? Yeah, yeah, why? I don't know why. Because, because of films, Gary. <laughs> because of films. I, I, I don't even think he's starting on his motives for the next one. But anyway. So, we're not quite finished yet. <laughs> We get this tacked on scene. A year later, in 1998, Julie is in college in Boston. As she enters the shower, she notices the words, I still know, written in the steam on the shower door. Moments later, a dark figure crashes through it and Julie screams in horror as we cut to... Hush again. Hush by Cooler Shaker and the end credits. Yeah. Um, yeah. That ending is so fucking dumb. It's, it's so weird because Julie suddenly is on a mobile phone telling Ray that he can ravage her in two weeks. <laughs> I mean, she didn't come across as that kind of character no. <laughs> for the rest of the film. Um, I said it, it's the most pointless, cheesy scene in the film. Um, I was just a, for a shower room, this is awfully ventilated <laughs> because she's, she's the only one in there. It's quite, it's a large room. Yeah. Um, the shower, she's left it on and she goes to get some, oh, she has some posts, doesn't she? Yeah. Which she, which happens to be in the same handwriting as Ben Willis. Um, but it's an invite to a party. And when she goes back in, the whole room is just covered in steam. Yeah. Either she's got hottest shower or that's just really poorly ventilated, the uh, room. 
And why why do we, as the audience, have to assume that this is a dream sequence? Yeah. Like, or what? she just got away and it was never spoken about ever again. Yeah. Well, yeah, really. I'm assuming it's just a dream sequence. This is what happens when you don't plan to make a sequel. No. No, I suppose not, no. And who the fuck was requesting for her to come back anyway? <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> Could we not have had Sarah Michelle Gellar survive in this the case? If he just died and come back to life? This is, yeah. Yeah, that's true, actually. Um... But yeah, it's a 90s classic. It is. It's a rite of passage for people our age. Um, it gets a bad rep. To horror. I think it does. I mean, it's a, I mean, I mean, it's not a classic. If you, well, it's a classic if you have nostalgia of it like we have. I mean, if you just randomly watch this now and you've got no nostalgia attached to it, maybe it's not as great, but... You can overlook certain things thanks to nostalgia. I think, yeah, it, it's true. It's the kind of film that only could have come out in 1997. Yeah. It's definitely uh, a 1997. It's got Jennifer Love Hewitt, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Freddie Prince Jr., Ryan Felipe. You know, those were our teen idols. Well, yeah, yeah. Those were the teen idols at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, even probably more so than Scream, actually. These were like, you know, young Hollywood, mm. really. And um, it, it's got a special place in my heart. Yeah. Um, but the more I watch it, the more I realise, okay, this isn't a great film. <laughs> this, is, this isn't as, well, not even as close to as good as Scream. Or Scream no, 2. of course not. Like, Scream is... A masterpiece. Yeah. This is a fun time. Yeah. So, um, into our little section I do on these trilogy and through the years episodes. Best kill. I've got Helen. Helen. Yeah, it has to be Helen. Just it's, not it's even because of the kill itself. Scene. But yeah, the whole scene. To it. Um, you actually feel sorry for her. You actually feel some emotions to someone being killed in a film. Yeah. Who knew that was possible? And most likable character is Helen, of, of course. Co- Helen is the only likable character. <laughs> well, that's... Yeah, most yeah. unlikable character I've got everyone that isn't Helen. Okay, it has to be... I suppose Elsa has to be top of the pile, but it's... It is everybody. Close, everybody <laughs> everyone in the film is so annoying. Like, genuinely. And Julie and Ray, our final two, are just dull. So yeah. dull. And that brings us on to I Still Know What You Did Last Summer from 1998. What a fucking stupid title. I still know. Well, I, still I mean, know. yeah. You mean, of course you do. You, what else would you do? You can't say I Know What You Did Last Summer 2. Part 2. Part 2? Yeah. Okay. Like, I still know. Well, of course, if you're alive and you have memory, yes, you still remember. No fucking shit. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I think? There's another... Oh, I don't know. I think it. Do you know? Do you know what's even worse? Work. Do you know what's even worse? What? I'll always oh, know go. what you did last summer. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I am well aware of what you did last summer. <laughs> Nineteen ninety-eight, directed by Danny Cannon, the director of The Young Americans, Judge Dredd, the Sylvester Stallone one. Oh my! Phoenix, Goal, um, that weird 
football franchise film. Oh films. my god, yeah, that Gold. weird film that no one ever heard of, but did really, really well. That yeah, it warranted two sequels. Uh, some TV shows and a few Bjork music videos. Oh, nice. Budget $65 million and it made $40 million. Oh, no. Big, big flop. Oh, dear. Due to the negative critical reaction to the film upon its release, Freddie Prince Jr. admits that he's never seen the film because of the reputation. It's probably for the best, hun. You don't want to feel bad about yourself. Does that mean he watched the first one? <laughs> Scheduling conflicts with Dawson's Creek, The Faculty, Halloween H2O, 20 years later, and gearing up to direct uh, Teaching Mrs. Tingle, prevented Kevin Williamson from writing a screenplay for both this and Scream 3, after having write, written their uh, predecessors. And it shows. Yeah. What's Teaching Mrs. Tingle? That sounds dirty. Teaching Mrs. Tingle is the film where Katie Holmes... Uh, plans to murder her mean teacher, played by Helen Mirren. Okay, that sounds amazing. Not quite as dirty as I thought it would be. Um, but we definitely need to watch that. The character of Carla Wilson uh, was originally intended to be a Caucasian girl until Brandy auditioned and won the role. Yeah, I loved Brandy, and I still do yeah. to this very day. But I loved Brandy talk about, back in the day. Talk about teen idols from the 90s. She was mine. I love Brandy. I loved her. I love her in this film. I won't hear anything negative said about her. Um, yeah, I mean, I had I had a CDs and... Um, yeah, listen to her. I loved her. Uh, just in case anybody under the age of... 20-something is listening to this episode. Uh, it is Brandy of Brandy versus Monica, The Boy Is Mine fame. Please YouTube it. Okay. <laughs> Spotify it, whatever you want to do. Also, Brandy from Moesha. Cinderella. C Cinderella, <laughs> the Whitney Houston Cinderella. Um, she did Sitting on Top of the World, uh, What About Us, um... Sitting up in my room. <laughs> she was sitting a lot. Um, yeah, she's top-tier bangers. Love yeah. her. Peter Jackson was asked to direct. Oh, that would have been... He's a, he's a bit of a, like Daniel Harris, isn't he? Yeah. He's always... We watch... some sort of involvement. Although, uh, I think Peter Jackson's usually asked, and uh, Daniel Harris is usually turned down. Yeah. We watched one of Peter Jackson's horror films, and we need to watch more. Um, it was great. I, I really loved it. But this sort of film, I mean, that would have been interesting, to say the least. Um, yeah. It His style of horror is very over-the-top and gory. And it's difficult, though, because he, he probably would have been asked to direct, but he was directing someone else's yeah. work. So it probably yeah. wouldn't have felt like a Peter Jackson film. That's true. Uh, the teaser trailer featured Rosemary Forsyth as a psychiatrist counselling Julie, uh, telling her there was no man with a hook before the killer burst through a mirror. I remember that. No, that is a great trailer. I remember that. Who's um, Rosemary Forsyth? I have no idea, but she plays a psychiatrist. I was going to say, I feel like they've deliberately mentioned the name as if she was famous. Yeah. Um, but I, I really loved that trailer. I mean, again, you know... It's another one of those scenes where Julie gets a jump scare attack and nothing comes of it, but 
as a trailer, you know, that works great. Rosemary Forsyth. I've seen her in Ghosts of Mars. Oh, lovely. That's a real shame. Um, but as well as uh, the Therapist uh, trailer, there was also another trailer featuring Julie visiting a confession booth at the church uh, where Ben Willis, uh, in place of the priest, says, I still know. So basically the scene from the film. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's also used. Um, whilst the film is set in the Bahamas, it was actually shot uh, in Mexico, Los Angeles, and Sony Picture Studios in California. Okay. So they didn't actually get to go to the Bahamas. Oh, that's a shame for the cast. Yeah. They should have went to the capital of Brazil, you know, Rio. <laughs> Don't start. I'm, I'm waiting. This film would be the last time Jennifer Love Hewitt appeared in a horror film. She didn't want to be typecast. Thank God. She didn't want to be typecast as a screen queen. No one was going to do it, huh? I don't think they were. <laughs> I'm sorry about it. Uh, just like with the first film, Roger Ebert has this on his most hated list. The fate of Nancy, played by Jennifer Esposito, and Carla, played by Brandy, uh, in the scene where they retrieved the first aid kit, initially was reversed with Carla dying and Nancy surviving. Thank God they Thank kept it. Thank God. Hey, yeah, but we're saying that. What, what fucking good did it do? It didn't fucking do anything with it. No, I suppose not. Body count of 10 this time around. And getting into this ridiculously dumb sequel. The murderous fisherman with a hook is back to once again stalk the two surviving teens. Julie, <laughs> teens. Julie and Ray. <laughs> who had left him for dead. As well as, of course, even more murder and mayhem. This time at a posh island resort. Almost dead posh. So, one year after the brutal murders of her friends Helen Shivers and Barry Cox by the vengeful fisherman Ben Willis, Julie James is attending summer classes in Boston, but suffers from nightmares of the murders, one of which involves her giving a confession at church before Ben Willis smashes his hook through the confession box and she wakes up screaming in class. Yeah, when when it started off in a church, I was like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> She's going to confess, and then obviously it's a dream, because of course it was a dream. After a very boring chat with Ray, a fake jump scare, um, and <laughs> the exact line of dialogue, Jesus, Carla, that was like heart attack time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why Carla's going through a wardrobe in the dark. Yeah. Carla thinks that she's... She, she thought she was elsewhere, like not, she, I thought you'd gone home or she, she'd gone on some sort of trip or something and she's just sneaking around and it's like, well, put the lights on if you think she's not going to be there. <laughs> I hate, hate, I hate in films and you know this after how, God knows how many podcast episodes, but I fucking hate when people don't switch the light on for absolutely no reason, <laughs> just switch the fucking light on, it's your own house, switch it on. <laughs> Pisses me off. We get a nightclub scene where Carla's boyfriend, Tyrell, uh, is introduced. And Julie has visions of Ben, Car- and, ben and Carla uh, receive... What, Julie has visions of Ben... Oh, Ben Willis, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Who do you think Ben was? I, have, I got lost then for a second. Um, <laughs> he's clearly not a slasher icon, is he? No. <laughs> um, Carla receives a phone call from a local radio station. In a bizarre series of events... Um, she's entered into a competition. Okay, can I just, can I just mention before we get to this, because I've got a lot to say about this. Um, 
the hilarity of Julie being scared by the tumble dryer. Like, for fuck's sake, woman, you need to get a grip. It's a fucking tumble dryer. Calm down. Yeah. Um, she gets a, a phone call from a local radio station and manages to win a vacation for four to the Bahamas, despite answering the question incorrectly. The question was, what's the capital of Brazil? And after looking at a bag of coffee beans, Julie and Carla decide that the capital of Brazil is Rio de Janeiro. What a massive insult to the viewer's intelligence. I I really, I hate this as a twist. I really fucking hate it. Because when I first watched the film, I sat there and... The thing is, you you know that the the horror is going to happen at the hotel in the Bahamas because that's you've seen the trailer, you know the premise of the film. Okay, we get it. This is how they get there. They win a trip. Okay. Um, if we, if it was all set up, yeah. Yeah. Then we're gonna find out it's all set up by the end, so you don't have to have them give a wrong answer like they're gonna realize it's a setup by the end because someone's Mm -hmm. trying to murder them on a tropical island yeah so all this does and i really i think it's so stupid all it does is make our final girls we find out now final girls look like thick as pig shit yeah and then it just annoyed me. But then it assumes we're fixed pictures. And just a little bit, because once the reveal happens later on in the film, when they realise, oh, Rio's not the capital of yeah. Brazil, it's Brasilia, then anyone who didn't notice that, any viewer, feels thick. Yeah. You know, they were oh, is it? Oh, well, I feel stupid now. Yeah. Do you know? And you don't want your... It's really, really weird writing. I, I don't understand I just, where I they thought. I get it. I was like, they could have just given the right answer and it still all be a setup. Yeah. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just anyone who knows the real answer is just going to sit like, oh, well, you know, preempting what is considered to be a twist. Is it yeah. a twist? I don't think so. If it's meant to be, but they a, treat a twist, it like it's a twist. They they treat it like it's a twist, which is really insulting to the audience. Yeah. Yeah. And it it pissed me off when I first watched the film. It still pisses me off now. After oh well, no, that's the start of my notes again. No. Um. So after this, we get "How Do I Deal" by Jennifer Love Hewitt playing. Oh yes, classic. We watched song. the music video to this, and it made absolutely no fucking sense the whole song is her saying oh fuck how do i deal with this terrible situation the film is her being hunted down by a serial killer yet jennifer love hewitt in the music video is sat there watching the film laughing her fucking ass off and having the best time and like smiling while she's singing the song about having a terrible time yeah and can we talk about how i'm just gonna say it how indicative of institutionalised racism within Hollywood it is that Jennifer Love Hewitt was the one to get a song from this film. I mean, Jennifer Love Hewitt, as far as I know, was never a singer before. No. I I don't think... I think she maybe did one album afterwards. She's not a bad singer. 
but you have Brandy in this film. Yeah. Who is a well-established R&B singer who maybe couldn't have sang this song. <laughs> would she want to? Don't think she would have wanted to. <laughs> but, you know, a well-established singer didn't get the song for the film. Yeah. Even though she stars in the film. I think I think I think we missed out on a cla- another classic brandy song. I think so. I think so. And I, yeah, I do think it's intentional. I think I think I think you know I know I know I understand that Jennifer Love Hewitt is the star of the film. I do understand that. Um but you know if you want the song to crack the top 10 you should have given it to Brandy. <laughs> uh Julie invites Ray who declines because he's annoyed that she would rather go to the Bahamas with her college friends instead of going back to their hometown where her friends were murdered. <laughs> yeah, oh my god. You know how Ray was like really dull in the first film? Well, he's really fucking toxic in this one. Yeah, he's grown a backbone um, and he's mad over the stupidest things. Yeah, he's turned into Barry. Like, I, I really don't understand his logic and why he's mad at her. Like, you've just been offered a free fucking trip to the Bahamas. Yeah. Get off your fucking smelly fish boat and go and fucking go to the Bahamas, you idiot. But he, later he changes his mind and, you know... Thankfully, that works for the plot because he goes, him and his co-worker, Dave. Dave? Dave. Drive to Boston whilst listening to Here I Go Again by Whitesnake to surprise Julie. But stop due to a body in the middle of the road. When Ray discovers the body's a mannequin, Ben, who uh, somehow knew Ray would be driving along there at that time of night, (laughs) at that exact part of the road, appears and kills Dave with his hook. Ben then chases Ray in a truck, but Ray escapes and falls down the hill in a big action scene because we obviously needed more yeah. Freddie Prince Jr. action scenes. And he hits his head at the bottom, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, it's just it was it, it's kind of it furthers the plot, but it's all based on coincidences. It, and... Honestly, <laughs> Ray is so fucking insulting for this film that they thought people would buy this shit. It just... It, <laughs> what it makes me think about is... And I'm sure it's been done in some sort of parody uh, film of some sort. But the idea that Ben Willis is there, um, lying in the middle of the road, waiting... <laughs> no, it's a mannequin. A mannequin. Oh, well, he's waiting. You set that whole thing up. Yeah, so he's waiting in the bushes. Excuse me. <laughs> waiting in the bushes, waiting for him to come <laughs> along. Like, how many people came along before that part and saw the mannequin? And <laughs> just went, popped out. Shit, oh, carry on, guys. Carry oh, on. Just carry on. No, not you. Not you. Oh, oh foiled again. You know, it's just ridiculous. Um, the next morning... Julie, Carla, Tyrell, and their friend Will depart for the trip. Now, you thought the radio twist was insulting. This character's full name, I shit you not, is Willis Benson. Willis Benson. Will is Ben's son. That is his actual fucking name as a shock as it may be to you to our wonderful listeners he uh, will is uh, is ben's son he really is why the fuck 
would he want to drop a hint like that? If he wants to get away with this, yeah, first of all, he's insulted intelligence and also did not disguise his voice. It was clearly him on the phone. <laughs> but then he is telling them He's telling them, he's like, I am, yeah, I understood it, a guy that you tried to fucking hide his body and whatever. Like, seriously. Yeah, which again makes you... What a stupid idea. Makes your leads look thick as picture. Yeah. The group, and we'll come back to that later on, um, with, with the big reveal scene. The group arrives at the hotel in Tower Bay and checks in. Speaking of racism... We have Titus, Titus, played by Jack Black, a Rasta stereotype, complete with a Jamaican accent. Yeah, it wasn't as strong as a Jamaican accent as I thought it would, but there is, it is there. Yeah. It is, yeah. The whole it thing is. stinks of cultural appropriation. Well, it is, isn't it? Yeah. But I'm assuming that's the joke. The problem is, if this was a funnier film... It may have landed better, the joke of this guy. Mm. Um, but it just feels really awkward instead. Yeah, I, Jack Black goes uncredited for this film. Does he really? I can see why. Yeah. Um, was he famous at the time? He, I don't think he would no, have been. No. Was he ever on S- uh, SNL? Was Maybe. That? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, Ray is somehow in hospital uh, after his incident with Ben and escapes. Um, because, you know, he's big bad Ray in this film. Big bad Ray. Yeah, um, he escaped through the window, didn't yeah. he? <laughs> that evening at the hotel's bar, Julie is forced into singing I Will Survive on karaoke. Um, she's like, oh no, I don't want to do it. The next one, she's putting on this full fucking show. She's like grinding on fucking Willis Ben's son's dick. Like, she's really going for it. Do you know who doesn't sing in this film? Brandy. Well-established R&B singer and uh, top ten yeah. artist. For the second Brandy. time, we have Julie's vocals Julie's in this film. Julie's vocals. Um, <laughs> in a bizarre series of events. She's singing, I'll survive. She doesn't need to look at the words. She looks at the screen. The moment she looks at the screen, the words, I still know what you did last summer, <laughs> roll onto the screen. No one else sees this. And she's terrified. She runs back to her room uh, where unattended candles and a surprise note from Will awaits her. A surprise note from Will with uh, his father's handwriting on it. Okay. Number one. How inappropriate of Carla to get somebody who was almost murdered a year before (laughs) to sing I Will Survive on karaoke. How inappropriate. Also, spoiler alert for the end of the film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for letting us all Should've know. Should have been a duet. Um, so inappropriate. Number two, unattended candles. <laughs> you know I hate them in films. Like, seriously. Um, yeah, and the note from Willis Benson. Yeah. At the dock, Derek, the dock hand, is tying up the boat. He's attacked by Ben. Uh, Olga, the housekeeper, finds bloody sheets whilst working and is then attacked. Yeah, these felt really just like trying to up the body count. Yeah. Deaths. It was just, I don't know. It's felt, I felt a bit sorry for him. I was like, oh, poor, poor woman. It goes completely against what he was trying to do in the first film. Yeah. 
These are very much max deaths. Yeah. You know, just there for no reason. Whilst the others get into the hot tub, Julie is in her room and notices that her toothbrush is missing. This is a fucking dumb subplot as well. She searches her room before finding Derek dead in the closet. She finds her friends and they return to find no sign of Derek's body. The hotel manager, played wonderfully by Jeffrey Combs, who is, as always, overacting. Overacting. Love a bit of Jeffrey Combs overacting. It's always great. Uh, refuses to believe her story. By the pool, thankfully Titus is killed by a hook to the hand and garden shears to the chest. And Action Ray heads out to rescue Julie. One thing I don't understand is... Well, number one is the um, scene where Carla and uh, Terrell keep getting interrupted whilst trying to get cosy in the jacuzzi <coughs> um, to great hilarity. I also don't understand how the dead body was removed from the wardrobe. It's another one of those, like, how do I even do that? Um, also, what I seriously really don't understand is that Jeffrey Combs is explains to them that this, the reason that the hotel is completely empty um, because it's bad weather season the day after. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't understand why they would ever just let why would they let people book in the hotel yeah. during off-season? Well, surely that's not a thing. It makes no sense. And he says, oh, yeah, tomorrow we're probably going to get a hurricane. And it's like, why are you selling these tickets? Mm-hmm. Um, knowing how dangerous the weather's going to be? Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's, it's shit yeah. like that. This that is... Builds. I can forgive certain things. So, like, getting rid of the body in the wardrobe quickly without any mess. Yeah, whatever. I can suspend belief. But in this film, it seems to just be one on top of the other. These things that don't really make any sense. Yeah, it's it's so stupid. And I don't think it's intentional either. No. Like, the, the first film's a few dumb moments, you know, is obviously meta because it's Kevin Williamson. But this, I, I genuinely don't think... I think they it's, genuinely thought they were doing something. Yeah, else. they like... So that what they needed was this hotel to be quiet and for there to be a sense of dread. Mm-hmm. So they had a hurricane, but it just doesn't make any sense in the context of the film because, you know, why would, you, why would anybody sell tickets to a hotel that's about to potentially be destroyed by a fucking yeah. hurricane? Like, come on, because it's off-season. It's bad weather season. Everyone mm-hmm. else is fucked off. Just, just silly, stupid. The next day, the group finds Olga, Titus and Mr. Brooks murdered and the two-way radio, their only way of contact, destroyed. Julie goes on a tanning bed and Ben traps her in there. <laughs> For some reason. Eventually, the rest of the group save her and Julie gives a dramatic speech in the rain where she really pushes those acting chops and tells her friends the plot of the first film. Um, a few questions. Why is Terrell such an arsehole about Julie's <laughs> whole dead body thing? And why is she, you know, she's clearly quite upset. He's really horrible about it. Um, what I also don't understand is why the cameraman decided to zoom in on Jennifer Love Hewitt's body in that bikini. Uh, well, I do understand well, that. Yeah. I do understand that one. Um, but 
It's very noticeable, isn't it? It is. Like, uh, anyway. Yeah. I also don't understand why when they save Julie, their first thing is to open the sunbed um, rather than switch the sunbed off first. So they're all struggling, like, get it open, get it open, let me out, let me out. And it's like, why has no one thought of just switching it off first (laughs) and then you can take your time trying to open it up? Final Destination took a lot from these three films, by the way. Yeah. I mean, do you not think, I mean, the whole, you know, uh, Helen and her bitchy sister is very much like Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Sorry, Final Destination 3 took a lot from all three of these films. Obviously, the fairgrafting at the start of the next one, the nest, the tanning beds. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, that's true. Um... Um, Another question that I have is, why can't we have a single African-American character in this film who wasn't either stupid, aggressive... Uh, a member of staff or into voodoo in this next scene. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's so refreshing to see um, a bit more representation in these teen slasher films. But, I mean... It's not great. It's not. I mean, it's the staff, which I understand they're in the Bahamas. um, But also, this guy doing voodoo... um, Teamed with the Jack Black character. Yeah. You know, it's just all a bit... Ugh. Yeah, the group goes to the room of Estes, the Bohan Porter, and finds that he has been using voodoo against them. Estes appears, explaining why he... Explaining he was trying to protect them after realising their answer to the radio station's question was incorrect. Because he's not a fucking idiot. He tells them Ben and his wife Sarah had two children, which we never found out about in the first film, did we? No. A son and a daughter. Ben murdered Sarah when he found out about an affair. Estes goes missing and Will volunteers to find him. Whilst Ray takes a... Action Ray takes a boat to the island. Julie, Carla and Tyrell return to the hotel and find Nancy, the bartender, hiding in the kitchen. I I love how uh, Ben now has this extra backstory just for convenience. I know, yeah. And, And at this hotel as well. Ben appears in the kitchen and kills Tyrell with a CGI hook. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it is. It is kind of funny. What? So uh, Tyrell's having uh, a bit of a breakdown beforehand. He says, "I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm fucking horny, and I ain't seen one goddamn psycho killer." And then he gets a hook through the neck. The girls retreat to the attic where Carla is attacked by Ben. Julie and Nancy rescue Carla and run to the storm cellar where they find Ben's victims. Will bursts in and takes the girls back to the hotel, stating he saw Ben on the beach. And at the hotel, Will tells them Esther's attacked him and is bleeding from the stomach. Nancy and Carla leave to find a first aid kit but find Esther's impaled with a harpoon. Ben appears, kills Nancy and attacks Carla. And whilst Julie tends to Will... He reveals it is not his blood and asks Julie what her favourite radio station is. <laughs> revealing that he was the radio estate, a radio estate, radio host and had killed Estes. What the a twist. Reveal. The big reveal. He then drags Julie to a graveyard where he reveals that he's Ben's son. And he does this by saying this exact line of dialogue. Don't you get it? Will Benson, Ben's son. Hi, Dad. Hi, Dad. Yeah. I okay back to this shit again don't you get it did you want her to get it 
Did you want her to figure it out and not go with you to the fucking island? Oh, well, yeah. And, you know, catch her out. Why would you I suppose want... suppose was murdered by this point. But why? By the point of them going on... Because she never wanted him to go on the holiday anyway. But by the... By the no one had actually been murdered before they got to the hotel. Um, but, yeah, it's fucking stupid. It's, it's so stupid. dumb. It doesn't make any sense. No, there's no way of this making any sense. No. Why would you drop hints? Except for a cheesy gag at the end of the film. A- apart from that, yeah. Yeah. But why would you drop hints? That is literally like Freddy Krueger putting on a fucking mask... Coming into the real world and having his name is a fucking not Freddy Krueger or something. I it's it's so stupid. It's also how elaborate was this plot? Oh, I know. So there are many times that Carla refers to Julie as her best friend. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no Carla wasn't in the first film. No. So they must have known each other less than a whole year. Yeah. You know, a whole year at, at tops. Yeah. So the idea is that Will was after Julie, mm-hmm. yeah, and um, Julie wasn't, you know, raised her boyfriend. She wasn't having any of it. So re- they win the tickets, which Will set up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ray is invited to go because he's Julie's boyfriend mm-hmm. with Carla. And Tyrell, because Tyrell is Carla's boyfriend. Yeah? hmm How did Will know that Ray wouldn't want to go? Exactly. And I understand that Ray was then incapacitated at the side of the road, but that was a direct result of him initially saying he didn't want to go. Yeah. So Will goes because Carla invites him, because Carla says, well, Will's my friend as well. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to invite him. So how long was he planning this shit for? Because he would have had to have made sure he was friends with Carla and made sure that Julie... So either he was going to be in a relationship with Julie, yeah, by this point, because it had to happen on the 4th of July weekend. Mm -hmm. So he had to either have made sure he was in a relationship with Julie or had a strong enough friendship with Carla or Tyrell to get invited to the Bahamas. Make sure that Ray didn't go. Yeah. And this, this isn't even taken into account, this whole fake name bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And that he got into college with, you know? With his fucking Willis Benson name. Yeah. This fake name. He fucking went to all Willis those Benson. efforts to change his fucking all name. This shit. Oh my God. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. So, it's so convoluted. When you really think about it, and again, I can suspend belief. I If this was the only incident in the film where I was like, oh, this is a bit stupid, I could forgive it. But there's so much, like, stupid coincidences or ridiculous mm-hmm. writing in this film that... Um, it, it, I can't forgive it. 100%. But where was Willis Benson the year before? Not you know getting revenge for what happened to his dad. Exactly. You know. But yes, so Ben appears and starts talking like the tall man from Phantasm for some reason. Action Ray jumps out, um, and uh, Ben says to him, 
What are you going to do, boy? Oh. Call me names. <laughs> You're going to call me names, are you? Uh, he attacks Julie. Ray engages in a fight with Will. Um, ben tries to stab Ray. He accidentally stabs Will instead. <laughs> While uh, Ben is distraught from killing his son, Julie shoots him dead and says, Just fucking die. Back at the hotel, Carla is found alive and they are rescued by the Coast Guard. So, was it established what Will's real name was? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, and also, is is it a just a given rule that every Kevin Williamson film sequel that he can't write for has to involve some long-lost family member <laughs> that no one asked for? Yeah. But yeah, Carla survives, thank God. Um, I wish she was the only one that did. <laughs> yep. How refreshing would that have been? Oh, it would have been. How, how have been. amazing yeah. and groundbreaking in terms of horror films would it have been if Carla was the one to survive? Mm-hmm. If she was the lone survivor, how good would that oh, be? Oh, yeah. You know, that really would have you know, made this way more memorable than it was. Yeah, but I mean, take a look at the writing of the rest of the film. We, know, exactly, we all know exactly, why. Exactly, exactly. Sometime... I'm surprised she survived at all, actually. Yeah. Sometime later, Ray and Julie get married. Ray's being really annoying whilst brushing his teeth. And I, I honestly found this unbearable. He is fucking brushing his teeth so loud. So loud. And he's like, I love this thing. It's a fucking toothbrush, you cunt. It's an electronic toothbrush. It's Jesus like Christ. And the bathroom door is locked whilst he is in there. Julie sits down on the bed, looks in the mirror, sees Ben underneath the bed. And she screams as he pulls her under the bed, <laughs> leaving her fate unknown yet again. <laughs> she just can't catch a break. She can't. And then uh, Gorecki by Lamb plays over the end credits. I like this song. I really liked it. Now, I know we've just slagged this film off for the last half hour or so, but it is so stupid to the point that it's enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, it's what I would consider a... Not a trash to piece. I would. What's like a trash classic? A trash to piece. That is the official term. Is it? Oh, okay. (laughs) No, I feel like trash to piece is like a masterpiece, but just opposite. So what's just short of a trash to piece? A trash classic. You you could say that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could just go with the basics, so bad it's good. Yeah, so bad it's good. It's just, yeah. it, it is so entertaining because of how stupid it is. I mean, you know, you have to see to believe it. I mean, everything we've said here is true. All these dumb events happen in this film. Also, again, it's a real nostalgia yeah, thing yeah. as well. You know, again, you've you've got your Jennifer Love Hewitt and your Freddie Prince Jr. again. You've got a young Jack Black um, you've got Brandy, obviously. Yeah. Um, Terrell's played by Mackay Pfeiffer. Yeah. Um, you know, again, young Hollywood, the, the, the sort of stars that I was into at that mm-hmm. time 
we're in this film. And it's more like a slasher film. The kills are more elaborate. You know, it follows the Scream 2 rules. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's, it's fairly, ridiculous. fairly entertaining. Which makes it entertaining. Best kill, I'm going to say Titus. I would agree with that one. It was very well. much a Friday, the, one big Friday the 13th, I manage. I mean, it's very much like the Crispin Glover, the corkscrew to the hand, but with a hook. And then mm. the garden shears, you know, it's like yeah. part five, Friday the 13th. All the I burning. I believe, yeah, and I believe that was intentional. So, you know, fair play for that. Yeah, I don't know why you would randomly have garden shears lying around as a part, <laughs> but yeah. Most likable character is Carla, of course. I liked Carla. I, again, like I said, I wish she was the sole survivor. Um, she She's really into survival. She's yeah. the one who's crashing through greenhouse roofs. She's, you know, fighting off Ben. She's doing all that business. Redeems herself from a, a stupid question moment. She does, she does. It was, it, was, uh, it was actually Julie that suggested Rio. Yeah. Um, yeah. Most unlikable character. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna have to go with Action Ray. Um, just because his involvement in this film was massively unnecessary. It was. It was. And he just shows up to act like he's some big fucking action yeah, star it, and save the day. Fuck off. He was a little bit. It was a bit pointless, and he was really toxic at the beginning when he was like, "Oh, so you'd rather go to the Bahamas with your college friends than stay at." You know, a place where you were almost murdered one year ago. Ooh, and then there's the fucking teeth brushing. Don't even get me started. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, it has to be Ray, yeah. Julie had a little more to her, I thought. A little more, girls. yeah. Number two, she had a new do. She had some sexy midriffs. Um, again, you know, distinct lack of sleeves in this <laughs> film. But I suppose they were in the Bahamas. So it's true. Them. There's an excuse this time around. Yeah. And that brings us to our final film of the episode. I'll always know what you did last summer, released in two thousand and six, directed Great by Sylvain White, the director of Slenderman, The Losers, Stomp the Yard, The Mark of the Angels. Don't know the budget or how much it made. It was straight to DVD. What really pisses me off here is how Sylvain White. Still got work after this fucking disaster within the horror genre. I'm sorry, if that was a fucking actress who bombed as hard as he fucking did with his film, would that have been the case? Unlikely. But yes, sadly. Um, I mean, Slenderman by all accounts is meant to be just as bad as this. But yes, this this is, is something. The movie was announced in 2000 and was originally meant to star Jennifer Love Hewitt, Brandy and Freddie Prinze Jr. again. However, it was left alone for a while and the original script, which involved Jennifer, Brandy and Freddie, was scrapped and a whole new script was written. Despite the script being scrapped, Hewitt was rumoured to have a cameo appearance in this one but never made it. Her acting would have fit in quite well. Yeah, it would have actually. Uh, well done on script being scrapped. Yeah. Yeah, I got that out. Yeah. I thought you might struggle on that one. Very good. The director was brought in as a last-minute replacement after the previous director was fired and first had to cast the film, prep the locations and devise a shooting schedule within just two weeks. And you can tell. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he, he, I genuinely think he ran out on the street. He was like, anyone, quickly, come on. It's been this film. <laughs> Originally entitled The Hook. Oh, not to be confused with... Steven Spielberg's hook. 
the least favorite horror film of James A. Janice. Okay. From um, Dead, Dead Meat. Dead, Dead Meat. Meat. Yeah. Why did I forget that? And body count of six. Very good. And that that's all the trivia. <laughs> that's all the trivia for this piece it's of shit of a film. This is very much in keeping with the cursed third part of the 90s slasher films. Yes. Although, uh, as we discussed earlier, this and Urban Legends Bloody Mary make Scream 3 look like a masterpiece, which I'm sure many of our listeners yeah. will already think Scream 3 is a masterpiece anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Group of teenagers in Colorado find themselves being stalked and killed one by one by a mysterious figure with a hook exactly one year after they covered up a friend's accidental death and you thought the second one was stupid. Whew. Wait till you get to this. Yes. Would you like me to start? Uh, yes. <laughs> in 2005, Amber Williams, her boyfriend Colby Patterson and their friends Zoe, Roger and PJ stage a prank at the town carnival where Roger impersonates the fisherman killer. Afterwards, everyone sees PJ's body impaled on a tractor smokestack instead of mattresses that were supposed to break his fall. The public believes the fisherman is behind it and the friends burn the evidence and make a pact to keep it secret. So, the film starts with slow motion, moody fairground scenes over opening credits. The filmmaking... The filmmaking here is just uh, embarrassing. I, this is some of the worst filmmaking I've ever seen. I don't know what the technique's called, where it, it goes, like, blurry. Oh, what's it called? Uh, 2000s new metal movie, yeah. you know, Saw. <laughs> yeah. Edited. That's what it was yeah, going for. That's what it was going for. And I hate it. It just does it really so badly. It's not great as it is, no. but this does it really badly. Yeah. Um, also, Ben Willis is... Uh, is now a urban legend, apparently. Yeah. Uh, he, and apparently he only comes out to kill teenagers with dirty little secrets, which leads to the exact line of dialogue. So he's kind of like Santa Claus, huh? Like, in reverse, he goes after kids that are naughty. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> uh, sadly, it didn't actually lead on to Dirty Little Secret by... <laughs> no. Um, all American Rejects. All American Rejects, because they couldn't afford that song. And no, but if they could, you know they fucking would they be would this film. Yes. So many awkward reaction shots. There's more awkward reaction shots in this than in a Nicholas Wine and Refn film. It is... No one, no one knows how to act happy, shocked, or <laughs> yeah. just like a human being. It's true. No one... No human beings interact like this. Like, there's just random shots of people smiling or just pulling a shocked face, and it is some of the worst acting I've ever seen. All the girls look the same. Yeah. And they're all wearing, like, um, shorts and sandals and cute little crop tops or... Um, like a thin strap top. Oh, you mean with no sleeves? The raw, no sleeves, no sleeves. They <laughs> uh, they all look like they they're giving me Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie oh, yeah. simple yeah. life vibes, and all the guys either look like a lacrosse player <laughs> or a member of Ashley Simpson's backing band. <laughs> 
There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. <laughs> but they they all look quite generic. It's it's 2007, isn't it? I mean, and there's this weird thing with horror films where in, in sort of the mid 2000s, where all the guys, apart from the the ones who are meant to be obnoxious jocks, all the guys look like they are in a you know tribute band um to a bowling for soup or, <laughs> or the all american rejects all american you rejects. know <laughs> i mean you said uh, what you said about the girls well zoe she looks like she's trying to be courtney cox doing an avril lavigne tribute act that's the thing so she's the rocky girl and she has the worst bout collection I've ever fucking seen. She has the... I've never seen bouts as ugly as this. But she's got black hair, which makes her a goth. Yeah. Straight away. Yeah, so... That's essentially, that's the beginning. Yeah. I mean, there's not really much to say. <laughs> it's just... That's Again, very elaborate prank. Um, so, yeah, none of the public react. Oh, yeah, like, the extras, like, none of them... Because it's clearly just like normal people <laughs> in the background and none of them react when all of this is going on like all these people when the the guys are pretending that the uh the fisherman's real um yeah yeah a year later I it's never established who moves the mattresses no um well actually assuming it's probably spoiler alert um, the zombie ghost of but No, it's not. No. Because this is what brings him this back. This is what brings him back. Yeah, so it makes no sense if he moves them. Also, question, did PJ not think to just look down before he jumped? <laughs> I love how... I mean, he <laughs> So PJ's a on a skateboard. <laughs> and he's trying to do a fancy sp- skateboard trick to get away from this fucking fisherman. Yeah. <laughs> and he's a fucking moron and just goes off the building and onto this fucking tractor. What I don't understand is the idea that PJ was in on it. Yeah. If PJ wasn't in on the prank, it would have made more sense. Yeah. He died because of this prank against him that went wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Slasher 101. Yeah. There's dozens of slasher films based around the premise of a prank going wrong. Yeah. You know? But the idea that he was in on it... Like, what? what There's no point. Yeah. Why didn't he just look down and realise that there were no matches there and say, okay. But again, it's so elaborate and the whole thing's so stupid. So stupid. It's just decisions like that that are just ridiculous for uh, film-making-wise. Anyway, one year later, Amber returns to town to discover that Colby never left to pursue his scholarship. She goes up to the mountains where she encounters one of the officers who witnessed the accident, (laughs) Deputy Hafner. Later that night, Amber awakens to 50 text messages reading, I know what you did last summer. She drives to Zoe's shack where Zoe allows Amber to sleep for the night. The next day, they find Roger and Colby but they angrily dismiss them when told about the messages. Do you have any notes about... <laughs> First of all, Deputy Hafner, the massive red heron, who yes. appears uh, by turning his torch on, that makes a massive jump scare noise. Yes. Because this film is 
filled with fake jump scares. Yes. Like, in every fucking scene. And when Amber wakes up, she acts scared of her own house um, and, and finds a note from her parents with the same handwriting as Ben. Yes. Again, doesn't switch the light on. So I have a few questions. So, number one, why is PJ's grave randomly in the middle of the woods? <laughs> Completely by itself. Uh, number two, why would Amber's parents leave a handwritten note when she has a mobile phone? <laughs> why is there 50 text messages instead of just one? Um, so, Zoe's a rock chick, so... But we miss out on her performance, don't we? It's interrupted. Well, she's about to we start. Briefly singing. We briefly get it. We get a little brief something. Very angsty, very two thousand six song. She's the lead singer of a of a band, and Amber ends up sleeping over wherever a shack. It's this is not just a shack. It was quite big for a shack, but um, anyway. Zoe's fridge has magnets that say "Mean people suck," and I do whatever my Rice Krispies tell me to do. <laughs> Uh, my other question is, Roger seemingly is working with heavy equipment by himself. Mm-hmm. So the girls go to see him uh, wherever he works, building ski lifts. Yeah. Um, who knew there was such a market for it? Because there's like loads of ski lifts there. Um, but he appears on this really tall... Um, I don't know what, how to describe it. It's just a piece of machinery, like really yeah. tall piece of machinery. And he's got a blowtorch and he's got his mask on and he, uh, the classic jump scare. And uh, he's been really obnoxious and dismissive of the girls. But my question is, why is no one else working there? Like what time have they gone to this place? Yes. Yeah. And when they turn up, they're acting like they're in a horror film. Exactly. Like it's just a ski place and they're walking around like someone's going to jump out of yeah. them. Yeah. It's so, I mean, it's a health and safety nightmare that he has all this equipment and working <laughs> by himself. It's absolutely ridiculous. And, um... Well, no, Col- it's not quite as ridiculous as Colby's scene. Well, Colby's a lifeguard. Um, it's quite a small pool, but they, he's one of two lifeguards um, in quite a quiet pool, which I think is much safer than Roger's set up. Um... He dismisses them quite easily. I'm laughing because I know what you're talking about. Um, he dismisses them quite easily and then sits back down at his, uh, on his chair to do his lifeguard. And what does he see? He sees, I know what you did, written in CGI water next to the swimming pool. And it disappears. Now, when you find out who the killer is in this film... This makes even less sense than when you think it was just a normal human being doing it. That's the thing. So through this, I mean, there's no reason for us to believe that anything supernatural is going on. <laughs> um, at least Bloody Mary was supernatural from the start, wasn't it? Yeah. You have to go back and think about this one. Um, so yeah, so Amber's tyre is slashed on top of a fucking mountain. Um, so obviously when, when I was thinking this was a real person, I was like, who the fuck is that stealthy? And she's on top of a fucking mountain. Why did no one in the swimming pool see him turn up in his big fucking fisherman outfit? Like writing that in water. And also, doesn't make any kind of sense. How can you do that? 
How is that possible? Like, and why is he fine with that? Yeah. Why is Colby like, hang on a minute. Oh, yeah, it's just some water riot. Get fucked. This is... That scene alone is dominating the entire I still know what he did last summer. That's true. Because that could never happen. No. That is it's not possible. But it's not even like it's a scary thought. No. You know, if it was written in like chalk or something. Yeah. Um, but like somebody's wet patch on the ground says <laughs> I know what he did last summer. Um, so we get another lone worker at the top of the, the mountain with a ski lift. There for a jump scare. There for a jump scare. Classic jump scare. Um, Amber is sent down on the ski lift. <laughs> but for some reason she's attacked <laughs> by what I have written down as a incredibly athletic fisherman. <laughs> um, I mean, to be able to do what he does with those ski lifts is absolutely ridiculous. Again... We were under the impression this was a real person. Nothing led us to believe that this wasn't a real person. Well, she has a magic camera, doesn't she? Does she? Yeah, she drops it on the floor and it takes a bunch of pictures for her. Oh, yeah. Conveniently, Conveniently. so she can show everyone. So she shows everyone. <laughs> um, the night of Zoe... Oh, oh excuse me, my apologies. Uh, a drunken Roger contemplates suicide with a hook from the prank. When he investigates a noise, a strange noise, he is attacked and killed by the fisherman. Colby is also attacked while swimming. They go to warn Roger and find him dead along with a suicide note and the hook. Deputy Hafner shows up and gets their statement. Afterwards, they return to Amber's house to find pictures of them from high school yearbook sliced up and stuck to the wall reading soon. They all stay at Zoe's place and find Lance, PJ's cousin, outside. He shows them a message engraved on his motorbike. Again, when you find out who this is... Why would he be so good at making a collage, first of all? Yeah. You know, he's been dead that long. Um, and why would he make a fucking collage? Seriously, just keep sending your fucking texts. Yeah, so i got a few questions. <laughs> why did it appear that Roger lived where he worked? <laughs> uh, even... Yeah, but even the characters are like, wait, he lived it? And I kind of feel like that was actually the He's actors the... questioning the script and they yeah. left it in. <laughs> like, because seemingly he left... There was a lot of personal belongings around him. Again, no one working there apart from him. <laughs> Just him. Um, um, no, that's actually... Do you know what's my only question? Because the rest of it's just too stupid for me to even care. Uh, that was my only question. <laughs> yeah, was it before or after? I oh, think no, it was excuse after... me, excuse me. I've got, loads, I've got some questions for you. Um, why wouldn't the killer just kill Colby? <laughs> he, like, sticks the hook into his ankle whilst he's swimming. He swims to the other side. Obviously, he's struggling to get out the pool and, and away because he's just had a hook in his ankle. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't the killer just finish yeah, him off this there? is a killer who's very capable of teleporting. He could have easily killed him. Yeah. It, it makes no sense. Also, why is he fucking wasting time leaving messages? Just fucking kill him. Just do it. Also, why kill off Roger, who was part of the original prank, to then introduce Lance... PJ's cousin, who, yes, is a red herring, but also becomes a potential victim as well. Why would you get rid of one character to introduce pretty Mm -hmm. much the same character? 
afterwards, again looking like a uh, a backing band member of Ashley Simpson. Uh, but Ed, the message on Lance's bike is it's just it says I I know doesn't it I know what you did or whatever. No, it's it's uh, like it say? you know. Oh, you yeah. know. But yes. then after this, it's when uh, Colby leaves a note on Lance's uncle's car because he's a cop. Uh, they think he knows. He leaves him a note saying, we know what you're doing this summer. Stop it or we'll tell everyone. Oh, yeah, because he's the sheriff and they think that he's yeah. part of it, don't they? Yes. So the night of Zoe's concert, um, she performs a pretty incoherent song. Well, you're missing something out here. What the fuck am I missing out? Everyone decides the best idea is to just leave town. But a top agent is coming to Zoe's show and she can't miss it. They agree that they'll ha- after they'll leave when Zoe's band have played their one song. One song. Oh yeah, Amber says. <laughs> well, after you've played your one song, but it's like a talent show, isn't it? Yeah, Zoe's band, Zoe and the Whores, uh, practice. It didn't, it didn't. It sounded like Whores, but I don't think it is Whores. Okay, it was either Zoe and the Whores or Zoe and the Boys, and I know which one I'd rather it be. Zoe and the Whores. Um, they practice a song which I shazammed because I thought is this actually her. No, it's a song called Daredevil by a band called Weapons of Pleasure. Oh. And the night of Zoe's concert is accompanied by comments such as, She's good. No. She's awesome. And you rocked out there. That was incredible. Who fucking wrote this shit? (laughs) It was... Yeah, I thought the song was pretty incoherent. I didn't really know what she was singing about. (laughs) Um, but anyway, after um, Zoe's concert... Amber, the one song concert! <laughs> Amber and Lance are attacked by the fishermen. Zoe is stabbed and thrown over a balcony to her death. PJ's dad, the sheriff, comes in only to be killed as well. <laughs> what what he does is... So Zoe's um, body is on the floor. Amber and Lance inspect it to make sure she's dead and somehow get blood all over themselves, not just their hands, but like all over their clothes. The sheriff comes in, um, they hide. He calls for backup for the um, dead girl in front of him. And some sort of like like a cockroach crawls on Lance. So Amber likes, <laughs> and then they come out and then the fisherman comes in and kills the sheriff. Just by stabbing him in the shoulder and dragging yeah. him off. Uh, but we never see him again. But I thought this was a setup for the sheriff to be the killer. Mm-hmm. Or be in cahoots with. Um, I think it was Sheriff Ben's dad. What's his name? Ben's dad. Ben's dad. PJ's dad. PJ's. No, Ben's dad. That ben's, was his, that was his oh, surname. yeah. Oh, ben's, of course. Of course. <laughs> sheriff is Ben's dad. Uh, <laughs> the fisherman... Then attacks Colby in a kitchen and hooks him in the mouth, killing him. Outside, Amber and Lance run into Deputy Hafner, who reveals that Roger told him about the accident. The fisherman then advances towards Hafner and pales him on a forklift. Um, yeah, so good old red herring, Deputy Hafner, said yep. um, that he was trying to protect Amber because he's got a thing for Amber, doesn't he? Well, that's all the red herring's dead. Who could it be? I know. So, yeah, he's impaled on a forklift. 
Amber and Lance get into a car and run down, uh, run the fisherman down, excuse me. Amber and Lance get into a car and run the fisherman down. He gets up and is revealed to be the un <laughs> the undead Ben Willis, the man who committed the original murders eight years ago. We are not shitting you. He is a supernatural zombie with glowing red eyes and shitty makeup. Willis attacks them but is cut with a hook by Amber and disappears. Amber and Lance go to face Willis, deducing that the hook will hurt him. They are chased into a warehouse. Amber then fights Willis and eventually stabs him in the head and pushes him into a snowblower driven by Lance, killing Willis. Before this, she says, the secret dies with you. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> This is so ridiculous. So fucking stupid. Why is the read the last scene and we'll, we'll we'll discuss. A year later, Amber is driving across the desert when a tire blows out. She stops the car and loses reception. Willis appears behind her and she screams, ending the film with a slicing sound of the hook leaving her fate unknown. How on brand? Now, fate. No one cares. <sighs> With Friday the 13th, they had the decency to wait until the 10th film before taking Jason to space. The 9th film was Jason was a slug, you know, the 7th he was fighting a uh, budget carry. Okay, great. I know what you did last summer has the audacity to jump the shark three fucking films in with the most stupid fucking twist I have witnessed in a slasher film. It makes absolutely no sense. In the context of the first two films, this makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. No. To have a mystery, mm -hmm. yeah, to have red herrings, yeah, mm -hmm. and the big reveal is that it's a supernatural zombie killer like how is that's not that's not ah yeah got me there you know it's not a resolving of a mystery no it's you because, made me sit through this shit for that yeah it, you might as well have just had the supernatural ben willis killing from at least you know bloody mary had that from the beginning it didn't pretend to be anything else mm. You know, it was supernatural for me. It was fucking shit. Uh, probably on par with this one. I think this is worse. Um, I mean, the twist as well, Once, even once he's revealed, the twist is that he can be killed, but only with the hook that they used for the prank. I know, yeah. It makes even less sense. No. And uh, this guy, this supernatural ghost version, the supernatural zombie version of Ben Willis, is going round... Making fucking collages and putting them on walls and writing with water. Yeah. Seriously. It just and and. And they unlock him by a prank gone wrong. It's so that's stupid. The thing. It's like. It's like he's turned into the Candyman. Yeah. In the sense that he's an urban legend that's brought to life. Yeah. Um, but that's not in keeping with. The heart of the other two films. Yeah, by playing a prank. Sorry, but the prank. first film, 
That wasn't a fucking prank. They ran someone over. Yeah, they covered up somebody's death that was their fault. Yeah. Essentially, you know, this was a prank where the guy who was the victim of it was in on the prank. Yeah. So, if anything, it was an accident. Because it was never revealed who moved these mattresses Mm -hmm. that were meant to be there. Yeah. So, it wasn't like... So, he was potentially murdered. He was potentially murdered. But that's not what the film is. It's never revealed why he ended up being impaled. Which just makes the whole thing so fucking ridiculous. So stupid. It really is. It and really boring. is. boring. Oh my God, it was so boring. Yeah. It really was. So boring. So dull. I, I, they're, um, they're, for the future of this franchise, they're making a TV series for Amazon Prime. And I really hope they just reset it all and don't go for this fucking supernatural bullshit again. I don't think they will. It, it probably won't be Ben Willis' story. Well... Best kill, I've got Deputy Hafner's hook to the gooch and the forklift. <laughs> yeah, he did, he did get a hook to the gooch. Uh, for any American listeners, that's a hook to the taint. <laughs> Sounds so much worse than gooch. It's so, so. Taint is a horrible <laughs> word. Horrible word. Um, yes, yeah, only half-decent scene in the film. Um, most likeable character... I've got supernatural zombie Ben Willis. I mean, he's getting revenge for this kid that he didn't even know. You know, he does decent arts and crafts. Uh, <laughs> has cool well. disappearing tricks. And he had the audacity to be a zombie ghost. <laughs> he's gone from cutting off Sarah Michelle Gellar's hair to fucking being a teleporting ghost with red eyes. My favourite characters were the two girls at the very beginning of the film that you thought would play a bigger role in the film. <laughs> But um, didn't appear until the party later on and had nothing significant to do. <laughs> I've got... At the beginning of the film, like, everybody's just putting their arms around each other. <laughs> no, just walking anywhere, arm around the shoulder. Standing still, arm around the shoulder. Just, everyone's got their arms around each other. I couldn't figure out who was with who. Or who, yeah. like, who our main girl was going to be. Because everyone was just... Like leaning on each other. Yeah, because it's written by people who have no idea how te- who has no idea how teenagers act. No, it's true. I've got most unlikable character that everyone else other than Ben. Yeah, pretty much. Like uh, there was not one redeemable character in this film. They were all fucking annoying. They were, they really were. I th- I don't I think they were going for um what, isn't Colby? Colby was meant to be a mm. Barry type, wasn't he? Rip off a barrier yeah, first film. Not quite. Um, but that's the yeah, I know he did last summer trudge, and I'm sure it goes without saying the first film is the best and the third one is the fucking worst. Yeah. Yeah. It it does get worse. So I mean watch on. the first two for pure nineties nostalgia. Uh just, just don't even watch the third film. You don't need to. It's not necessary. No, it it actually it genuinely isn't because it was it was really, really boring. There's, there's like, one scene where they discuss the plot of the first two films, and that is it. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's pointless. dull, very dull. So, yes, next week we are continuing Summer Screams, and we are on to the episodes where we got you guys to choose them through uh, the polls on Instagram. Um, but... We're not just bringing you one episode next week. Well, it'll, uh, I forgot to mention what film it'll be. It'll be House of the Dead. 
Uh, but we're not just bringing you one film next week. Next Friday is Friday the 13th. <gasps> so we'll be bringing you Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Yay. If you can remember, we have been releasing a Friday the 13th film on each Friday the 13th. We've only got one this year. Uh, but the last one feels like ages ago. It, it does. Was that last year? It was last year, yeah. Um, but thankfully, if we can only bring you one, we are bringing you the best one. We're talking about the best Friday the 13th film that includes the original. Um, I will not argue about it. It's the truth. Uh, you know, the only good film... We're, no, the best film we're discussing for you all month. <laughs> okay. Um... I would wonder what I'm saying. The best film, what? But yeah, Christmas that's Lover. that's uh, alongside House of the Dead. The uh, have you seen House of the Dead? I have. Oh, I have. Um, I well, fortunately, up until this point, I have not seen it. So. I I won't say a thing. Oh dear. Uh, yes. So if you're on social media, talk to us about. I know what you did last summer. We're Horacle Trash over on Facebook and Instagram. Horacle Trash on Twitter. I'm Delight Gaz92 on Letterboxd. Gazmo205 on Instagram. And GazCruise92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Letterboxd, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, send me a message. Let me know if you preferred Helen Shiver's hair before or after a makeover. <laughs> um, if you're feeling generous, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Please do not leave us a review saying, I know what you did last summer. We, we can't deal with any more cheese this week. You, well, um, I'll tell you what I did last summer. Fuck all, because we're all in lockdown. Thank you very much. Uh, like and follow on everything else. Tickets are now on sale for our Hellraiser screening. Yay. Uh, you can get those from eventbrite.com. The link is on is in our bios on Twitter and Instagram. Um, we post it on the event page on Facebook. Yes, tickets are £7.50 with a small uh, Eventbrite fee on that. I think it works out about £8.60 altogether. But yes, 30th of September, we are screening Hellraiser at the Chapel Town Picture House in Manchester at 7 o'clock. And it would be great to see everyone there. Yes. Yes, if you're local to the Manchester area, come and watch a classic horror film on the big screen. If if you're not, then you come and stay on our sofa. Yeah. <laughs> We've got three. Does not guarantee you free entry, by the way. But yeah. you, you, you get something to stay. <laughs> But yes, so yeah, if you if you want to come along, get, grab some tickets whilst they're still there. Whilst they're still, whilst they're still there. <laughs> it's not a physical ticket. Yeah, no, don't this... turn up on the night. Don't turn up on the night because you you can't get tickets on the door. You have to buy them online. <laughs> Selling like hotcakes. Get them while you can. <laughs> may or may not be true. But either way, we will see you same time, same place next week. Bonjour, bonsoir. What the fuck? <laughs> Trying French. Au revoir. I am not editing that shit out. Please say goodbye. Bye.